Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Our conversation today really centers around purpose. At some point, you've no doubt been given the advice to find and live your purpose, to, in essence, find your calling and really lean into that. But have you ever struggled to figure out what your purpose is? Or maybe you've wondered if the purpose you're pursuing is the right one or maybe whether your purpose has shifted. Understanding and living our purpose can be a powerful driver and motivator, and it can be an important component of building and sustaining influence. Purpose, of course, is closely tied to our values and what's most important to us, and yet it can at times feel elusive. This week's guest shares great perspective from her own pursuit to find purpose in her life, but also how she's thought about purpose at different stages in her career and within different sectors and for different organizations and brands. I really love all the different dimensions of this topic that we talk about, and I think you will too. As a career marketing executive and now CEO, Sheba Phillip, my guest today, has repeatedly found purpose in how she's approached the customer experience. Now, that's been true for her, whether it was working on the Oreo cookie campaign for the Mondelez company or creating the Get Your Pennies Worth turnaround campaign for retailer JCPenney or helping the international justice mission fight against global slavery or more recently in her current role at Ecola, where she's been helping shift the social impact jewelry company to a for-profit model where its goal is creating a more sustainable economic model to break the cycle of poverty in Eastern Africa, specifically in Uganda. That's not just a lofty goal. Sheba is using her incredible experience in marketing and purpose and brand to create connection between the women who make the product in Africa and the women who buy and wear the product. Akola's latest iteration of this approach is the Unlock It bracelet. I'm actually wearing mine today, and Sheba and I talk about what it means in our conversation. But before we jump into that, 
want to draw your attention to just a few additional things. First, this concept of creating a connection as we talk about in this conversation. The power of that connection is deeper, can be deeper, than just getting someone to buy your product or listen to your message. Creating a connection can inspire greater brand loyalty for your product or your message, and it can be a very important part of your influence. Second, understanding that connection can also be key to helping us really find and hone in on our purpose. Third, Sheba talks about the role of her faith in finding and adapting and ultimately evolving her purpose. And she also talks about the role that her faith plays in helping her take risks, risks that have enabled her to ultimately find her purpose. Fourth, we also talk about career pivots and being willing to pursue purpose, even if it seems to fall outside the bounds of what we are, quote unquote, supposed to do. And finally, the way that Sheba looks at purpose and connection is really relevant, whether your focus is big business or small, nonprofit, or whether it's just within your own life. Friend, after you hear today's conversation, you won't have to wonder why InStyle Magazine named Sheba one of its 50 badass women for 2021. Here is my conversation with Ecola CEO, Sheba Phillip. Sheba, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you. You were so kind to send me one of the Unlock It um, (laughs) bracelets just before the holidays, which I loved and I gave them as gifts. So I've been a big fan of Ecola and the amazing Ecola story. As you know, and as many of our listeners know, Mm -hmm. I had the company founder, Brittany Underwood, on. She was on in episode 63 talking about the incredible story behind Ecola. But to bring folks who are not familiar with that story up to speed, tell our audience about Ecola. What is that? Okay. Well, Ecola means she works in a local Ugandan dialect. And we can wind back the clock about 12 years ago. And Brittany, who you mentioned, uh, had come out of college, had gone to Uganda on a missions trip and met beautiful women that had a heart to care for their families or children, but did not have the means. And her epiphany at the time was that to break the poverty cycle for these women, to give them a chance for economic freedom, we had to give them sustainable employment. So the idea of Ecola was simply coming out of this desire to break the cycle of poverty through job creation for women. Uh, And so it started with these women making little beaded jewelry, necklaces and bracelets. And Brittany was taking it to Dallas and selling it locally. And before she knew it, uh, the brand was being invited to participate in a huge opportunity with Neiman Marcus. So we had an exclusive deal with Neiman Marcus. We were selling this jewelry in luxury retail, which was really game changing. You know, there had never been at the time at brand coming out of Africa, built by the hands of the poor, that had the design and the aesthetic and the quality that could sit in next to the world's best brands at Neiman's. So that happened for about you know, three years. And then in 2009, so fast forward to 2019, uh, Brittany was, you know, was building this brand with Neiman Marcus, starting to build a 
kind of, um, you know, brand awareness around this idea of job creation for women. And she was approached to then bring the product into Nordstrom uh, and Saks. So at that point, it was a, wow, this thing is really taking off. We are not a nonprofit anymore. We're now becoming this luxury brand with purpose. How do we do that? So that's how I joined. I came in in March 2019 to lead the company from a nonprofit to a for-profit and get us onto this journey of becoming a luxury brand grounded in purpose. Yeah. Maybe talk a bit about your background and the appeal for Ecola, the appeal to you for Ecola. Yes. You know, I have a very interesting background. I've cut across uh, numerous sectors. And one would say is a little bit of a chaotic career in the sense that I started coming out of business school, working 10 years, building global food brands for craft foods. So mm-hmm. foods you probably have eaten at some point in your life, like Oreo cookies and Ritz crackers and Jello. And I was building those brands with a deep expertise in marketing and loved uh, working in food because of the connection you have with moms and kids and that ability to create purpose in the brands that you're building. Mm-hmm. And you know that kind of began this journey of building brands with purpose. That's really my heart to be in business and create brands that can redeem societies and lift up people. So it started with food and beverage, and then I moved to, uh, I made a radical move actually to the nonprofit sector. I worked for International Justice Mission, which is the largest NGO based in DC that is fighting modern day slavery. Mm -hmm. So human trafficking, exploitation of the poor. And I came in to help redesign their brand. I was the head of marketing for them and really loved my experience in the nonprofit world, but was itching to go back into business and kind of take the best of nonprofit, which is about purpose and, uh, you know, telling great stories and lifting people up in communities and, you know, putting that putting that into the, the context of a business and, and running a brand. So I left IGM and went to JCPenney. I joined the turnaround team for uh, the brand here in Dallas. And as everyone knows, JCPenney is an American icon uh, over 100 years in retail and was really struggling to figure out how to modernize themselves. So I joined the turnaround team to help rebuild the brand as a head of brand marketing and media for them. So I've had this kind of interesting experience of, you know, food and beverage, global brand building, working in the NGO world, and then also working in retail, which has uniquely prepared me, I think, for the Ecola role. And the journey I was on was I actually left JCPenney. I took a a severance package and uh, it was a tough season of my life where I lost my job, I mean, essentially. Mm. And, you know, uh, you know, there was a big sh- shuffle in the executive leadership team. And when that happens, you know, uh, you're not probably going to stay long. And so it was a time for me to really assess what I wanted out of work, mm-hmm. what I wanted out of life. And it was a tough but beautiful journey for about two years where I was consulting and kind of really thinking through my next steps. And that just naturally segued into me meeting Brittany uh, and learning about Ecola. And at that time, like I said, she was thinking about how do I scale this company as a for-profit? I need someone to come in and lead this. I had been on this journey of saying, I love what I've done, but I want to be in this intersection of brand and purpose. I have done the big company thing, and now I'm ready to really build something on my own. So it was just a perfect uh, marriage of time and opportunity and for me, what attracted me to Ecola was really not 
the product. I mean, although the product was beautiful, it was mm-hmm. a story behind the product. It was the stories of women that were changing their lives by working and mm-hmm. by building this beautiful jewelry. And it was the potential that this company had to not only transform the continent of Africa, but really lift up women here in the U.S. by sharing those stories and connecting women that were making the product to women that were wearing the jewelry. So I could see this world of story and potential of purpose. And that was what I was so attracted to and, and took the leap of faith to leave a very kind of, you know, Fortune 50 type executive career to then jump into the world of startup and, and be an entrepreneur uh, 25 years into my career. So it's, I love uh, that. it's been an exciting journey. Yeah. I'd love for you to go back a, a bit, if you don't mind, and and talk, share with our audience maybe the process that you went through. As you were making this pivot, you had left a job that you probably weren't quite ready to leave. I mean, you left you left on your own accord, I, I recognize, but it's, it ended. And so you had to find, you know, regain your footing and figure out what you wanted to do next. You really faced that, you know, opportunity, that challenge of pivoting in your career. How did you go about making that decision? Was there a process that you used or advice that you have for others? Because so many people, especially right now with COVID, are making these big career and life pivots and decisions about what do I really want to do next? This is not working for me anymore. How do I make this decision? Is there advice that you would share for how you made your decision that might be helpful for folks listening? That's a great great question, Laura. You know, I did have a process. I wouldn't say that I was planned. <laughs> it kind of unfolded, <laughs> unfolded organically, I guess you could say, or inorganically through just when you're in when you're in the fire and you're in the, you know the pressure cooker, you're just right. forced to make changes. And so the first thing I did was rest. And I think I think, you know, it's so easy as high achieving women to kind of think, okay, what's the next thing? And so so I remember the next day after like leaving JC Petty. I was already coming up with my three-step plan, talking to my executive recruiters, figuring out my, you know, career kind of strategy. And I just felt really that I couldn't do anything unless I could hear myself and hear what I was thinking and feeling. And you can't do that if you're not resting. Mm -hmm. And so much of the time when you work in a very intense career, you're a, you're subject to all the circumstances around you. You're not actually in control. You're just responding to whatever the environment is throwing at you. So when you're in a, in a period of rest where there's like less activity, there's more time to think, to pray, you can really then open up and deeply kind of have an introspective view of what's happening. And so I took, I forced myself to take three months of absolutely no work. I wasn't going to take a single interview um, for a job. I wasn't going to talk to a recruiter. I was just going to rest. And rest meant for me, I, you know, my faith is very, very important. So spending a lot of time in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went, I traveled to Israel. I did a, you know, what was on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I joined, a, you know, like a Bible study in the middle of the day, which I would never do in my, in my normal career. I was joining, working with, kind of hanging out with women that I normally would not be with because they're all mostly stay-at-home moms. So it was really interesting and fun to connect with a different type of um, community of women that I had not been with before. And just really d- 
decelerated my my life a little. Was bit. that hard? Was it hard to very really make hard? It? Very hard. Because you literally go from one one kind of identity, if you will, yes. and one way of operating and knowing how to operate to something that's really very, very different. So different. And this is where the next thing is like, what does success look like? How do you define success and mm -hmm. how do you define your identity? My identity had been grounded in this idea of being a high performing executive. And all of my time and my energy and my emotion was put into that. Now my identity was just being a girl that, you know, goes to Bible study or prays or hangs out with friends. I didn't have a job. And it was right. just so humbling to go through that and say, my identity is not defined by what I do. And I have to just break that narrative in my mind. And so those three months going to a cocktail party and saying, well, what do you do, Sheba? Well, I'm in a season of transition. I mean, it was really just hard to answer <laughs> right. that question. After having that question so down pat for so many years, I knew exactly right. how to answer that question. So that was for a, a solid three months. And then doing that process, Laura, I started to ask the questions, what gives me joy? What actually makes me happy? You know, a lot of us, again, high performing women, especially our generation, we're always told, you know, you kind of end up doing what you're trained to do, what you're told you should be doing. Uh, you tend to find those jobs that play into your development areas because that's what you're always told to do. You stretch yourself and grow yourself. But I thought to myself, you know, I've done that for over 20 years. I'm At the end of the day, what gives me life? What do I actually like to do? What lights me up? Where, where do I really flow in my gifting naturally? And I'm not just pushing myself to grow in a certain area. And as I, as I asked those questions after that time of rest, I realized I wasn't in the right jobs for many yeah. of my my career. I had picked the wrong roles. I picked roles that looked great on the on paper, that had great compensation structure, that made me feel like my MBA and everything was worth it. It just I I had I had signed up for what I thought I should be doing, not what I actually want to do. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge wake up call for me to say, okay, the next half of my career, I want to lean into the things that truly are aligned with my heart and my values and my desires and my passions and my gifts. So that was scary to then say, okay, then the next step may not look like the stuff I had been doing for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really big question that our, our thought process I went through. And then the third thing was then to then really push myself to then go into spaces and, at, and connect with people that were outside of my traditional kind of career worldview. So I started talking to people that ran startups. I started advising uh, smaller companies. And as I started spending some time in consulting for startups and working with startups and realizing, you know, this is a world I actually think I would really enjoy because I, I realized what I love to do is building things, coming in and building the fundamentals. I love to have a lot of autonomy to create not just the marketing, but the full brand experience. And I started to realize this, this is per a perfect fit with startup and kind of being able to build a brand from its early foundations. So that was really the journey. It was rest. It was a lot of reflection, asking questions around what I want to do, what makes me joyful, what drives me, and then pushing myself to go pursue those areas that are may have not have been my pattern before, 
but really fit with, I think, who I was becoming or who I was. So I have I have so many questions thinking about this. You know, it's interesting because as you as a person looks at your resume and your experiences, it all fits together so beautifully to support what you're doing now. But at the time, as you're going through it, you, it, it's, it doesn't feel like a linear path to you, even though you can look back and say, oh yeah, I learned, I learned this here and I learned this here and these things all make sense ultimately, but you don't know that at that moment. One of the other things that I think is oftentimes really challenging as you contemplate and make these pivots is bringing your community or your tribe along with you and having people around you who have known you in these different roles who may have trouble (laughs) helping you make your pivot. Maybe talk about your experience as it relates to that. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's just your professional circle or your social circle. Talk about your experience with the people around you and kind of how they reacted to your career pivot. Well, it's a it's a really good question, and I uh, would say that, you know, my friends, particularly the ones that have walked either came came with me through business school and were kind of really walking alongside me in my career, kind of all were, could take a step back and look and say, you know, Sheba, you have probably overworked a lot in your jobs before, and you really weren't having a lot of fun. And so, when, for example, when Ocola came. You know, I think a lot of my friends really looked at that job and said, okay, this is really you. You, you, want, you want to live with purpose. You want to build something that has meaning. You want to be able to own it. This is the right kind of fit for you. But they're also really great about outlining the risks and saying, this is different. You're, you're mm-hmm. going to obviously take a compensation hit. You're going to, um, it's a high risk, you know, high, high risk venture. And so it was it was friends that really gave me kind of well-rounded counsel to kind of say, mm-hmm. this is this is really great, Sheba, but here are some of the watchouts. And there were women that shared, that could pray with me and also give me counsel, which I thought was really uh, powerful. And I think what, I think when you have a community like that around you, you feel even more inspired to take risk. And I think for me, if you think about what you said about that journey around, you know, for me, I didn't realize when I was doing it all, that it was leading me to a cola. Ultimately, I feel like the last 20 years of my career has prepared me for this role that I'm in right now. I had no idea coming out of business school I would be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, but I do think that the, 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 the formula for me has always been lean in and take risk and stretch yourself. I left craft and took this you know, radical departure at the height of my career to work at non-pro- nonprofit because I just felt a calling uh-huh. to really help women and uh, just leaned into that a little bit. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to try this big challenge with JCPenney. I mean, this brand is not doing well. This is a high-risk venture. I'm going to jump in and do it. And so I've always kind of followed things that make me uncomfortable a little bit and mm-hmm. stretch me. And and I just, you know, again, going back to my faith, I really just trust that God's purpose for me has already been set and he has a plan for my life. And I'm just here to kind of take step by step in faith, you know, decisions with him. And as I do that, it kind of all beautifully unfolds in a way that only he could do. And so for me, it was never intentional how I got to Ecola, but it was really through this idea of risk taking and leaning into and, and be not, not being afraid 
to step into things that that are out of my comfort zone, out of out of my sweet spot, mm-hmm. and then having a community like you mentioned around me that's supporting me, rallying me, holding me accountable, and also letting me know like, hey, these are these are risky things, but this is this is something that I think is so aligned with who you are. Yeah. A big part of your background is I had a chance to do a bit of research on the different roles that you've had and the different experiences that you've had and the incredible skill set that you bring to bear. A big part of what has, I think, distinguished you is your focus on the customer experience. Maybe talk a little bit about how customer experience and purpose fit together, whether you're working in a for-profit, a big corporate entity, like the food and beverage uh, sectors that you were in, to the nonprofit sector, to even as we think about our own personal brands and how we relate to other people. Maybe talk about how you think about that that customer experience. You know, I think it's, for me, it is brands with purpose can create a beautiful customer experience when they're focused on unlocking a customer's full potential. You know, I think I think if you if you sift it down to all of us have a purpose, all of us have a potential. The potential to be the best mom that we can be, the best leader that we can be, the best wife we can be. To me, that is what the story is about. And when a brand purpose, when a brand is calling themselves up to a higher purpose that's bigger than the business that they're in, and they invite customers into that journey, a brand is unlocking their potential, and they're also inviting the customer to unlock their own potential as well. Mm -hmm. So a perfect, you know, an example is like, you know, but it's probably not a traditional example is my time with Oreo. I was working, running the global brand for Oreo around the world. Believe it or not, Oreo is the number one cookie uh, in the world. Oh, I believe uh, it. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's January, so I'm not allowed any Oreos, but I do right. believe it. <laughs> and, you know, I loved working for, you know, Kraft Foods and Mona Lisa International that owns uh, Oreo. And because it's just, it's a brand that, you know, we, we, we said this brand is not just about a cookie. It's about unlocking childlike delight. It's about unlo- having any person, whether you're 10 or 50, when you eat an Oreo, you're tapping into that childhood, you know, joy, imagination and creativity that you had as a child. And what we were trying to do as a brand was invite moms to twist, lick and dunk their cookie with their child and create a beautiful connection as mom and child or father and child and have both of them realize the kid inside themselves, which is just a really joyful experience. So that's a perfect example of a brand having a high order purpose. It's not just about selling great cookies, but although we did that, and also inviting the customer in to have a beautiful customer experience with that brand that they too are then unlocking their own potential. And in the case of Oreo, being a better mom, being a better dad, and and really tapping into who they were when they were first born, that that inner childlike delight. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's an example of in a private sector brand that you would never think is a typical brand with purpose or not, you know, a nonprofit. But that's a great example that any brand, I think, can do that really, really well when they figure out that bigger thing they're going to stand for and what that can unlock in the customers and the, you know, the consumers that are participating in their brand. 
Yeah. So in the role that you're in now with Ecola, talk about how you think about the customer experience, because there's so many layers to what's happening at Ecola. There's the women who are in Uganda, right. who you are bringing out of poverty and giving them and their children and their families an oppor- real opportunities, um, truly, to, to acquire uh, finances, to take care of themselves, all these things that really will, will change lives. And then you have the customer experience on the flip side of the people, the women and probably men who are buying your products. Maybe talk about how you think about this idea of the customer experience and purpose as it relates to that. Right. I think that, you know, it's, there's a traditional model that would say, and this is sometimes how the nonprofit world will work, is that you have your constituents, the people you're serving in the communities, i.e. the COLA women, and then you have your customers or donors that are sitting here and they're they're two separate things and they come together when the customer is or the donor is willing to you know give money to this nonprofit or support this mission to help this other community. So that's mm-hmm. really how it's been historically built. Right. I think for a cola, what we're trying to do is break those silos and create a connection, a global connected experience. So this feels like Every woman at the table has an equal voice. It's the woman who's making the product and sharing her stories and sharing her voice and having her see she's got the potential to lift a woman who's buying the product. And that woman has the potential to honor this woman that is making the product by helping her keep a job. So it's not, I think there's this older paradigm of, one person helping the other. So it's the it's the person buying the product or donating, helping the other person in need. But the way we see it in Ecola is that we have things to learn from each other. We have things to gain from each other. And it's about creating an experience where that exchange can happen. So, you know, in a perfect example, the Unlock It bracelet mm-hmm. that you uh, have, that was birthed out of an idea that every woman carries something beautiful inside them that uh, is, is just part of their beauty as a woman. It's their courage, their strength, their joy, their glow. And it's when women come together and they lift each other up and they use their potential and their gifts to raise another woman up in their lives, that beauty is unlocked and that beauty comes out. And that was what happened when Brittany went to Uganda and she met these women. It was a beautiful exchange. It was Brittany you know, giving her financial resources, of course, to help women in need. And it was the women sharing their stories of how they are hopeful despite suffering, how they're able to have joy despite challenging circumstances that completely changed the way Brittany thought about her world and her life and her purpose. So there was a beautiful exchange between the two of them. And it was uh, communal, it was equal, and, and, and it was, um, you know, there was a reciprocity. And that is what is embodied in this bracelet. So when you wear this bracelet, you are connecting with that woman and her story of hope and of joy that was kind of poured with love into that bracelet. And when you give that bracelet to somebody else in your life, you're, you're telling them to unlock the beauty and joy inside, inside them. So to me, that's the experience we want. We want this connected community of women lifting each other up. So it's no longer customer and helping women in need, but it's it's all women having an equal role to play on that journey. 
Yeah, I love that. That's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful answer. Maybe let's dig into um, a bit about what happened at Ecola during COVID. Uh, so many businesses had such a difficult time. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you guys did as well, but you also saw some real opportunities that you could leverage. Maybe talk about the experience that you had. It was very, very tough, Laura. <laughs> I'll start with that. You know, we had, as I mentioned, I joined the company in 2019 and we were restructuring the company from a nonprofit to a for-profit. So I had just done that work. We had built a new team, uh, redesigned the product. We were ready to make the shift from being a nonprofit that makes beautiful jewelry to a luxury brand with purpose. And mm -hmm. uh, I spent a lot of time doing that. We closed our seed round in February of 2020 and then March COVID breaks. <laughs> And we were almost, I want to say, 100% in wholesale. So we were in Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, Saks. And within weeks of COVID breaking, March, of 20, March 2020, Neiman Marcus filed bankruptcy. And our orders plummeted, plummeted. And we went from this super high growth trajectory to trying to stabilize and stem the bleeding. Wow. And it went so quickly. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing we had to do was be incredibly agile with the product. So we knew women are not going to wear expensive jewelry when they're sitting at home in their sweats. And at that time, we were in complete shutdown. So no one is going anywhere. And we just started to brainstorm about what can we do, you know, because if wholesale is kind of plummeting, we have a website. We've got a, this is a great opportunity to push into e-commerce, which everyone knows that's where the future of retail is. And frankly, it was already there. We were just still so kind of wedded to our wholesale model. Mm -hmm. but, we, but selling jewelry is not going to do anything. What do we do? And so we had brainstormed and, you know, Brittany and I were talking and we remembered that we had this DIY bracelet kit, this kit that you can make, you have beads in there, you can make bracelets and necklaces. And we had it in Neiman Marcus. We never really sold it online. And we said, what if we put these kits out there? You know, women are at home with their children. They have no, they're trying to figure out a way to entertain their kids when they're home, they're not in school. Uh, this could be a great in-home activity. So we just promoted this DIY kit. And did you already uh, had the, you already had the we, product. We had it. In-house? Had we had it in-house, but we weren't prioritizing it because we were all about our traditional jewelry, our earrings, necklaces, bracelets. That was the, you know, the focus of the company. So we quickly pivoted our product portfolio to focus on these kids and it took off. We were, you know, selling out so quickly. Our e-commerce business grew. I think we doubled the e-commerce business within months and we were in BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, you know, Cosmopolitan, people, we were covered by every single magazine during that time mm -hmm. around this DIY kit. So to me, that quick flexibility is thinking, what does the consumer need right now in this really trying time versus, and, and trying to say, versus shoving a product that we know they're not going to really want, right, right. how do we tailor our, the best of who we are? We're about community, like I said, connection, purpose. And when you're sitting in a pandemic, you want to be inspired and have hope. Right. How do we do that in a way that is that fits into their life right now, which is being at home, 
full time with the kids. And so that was where the DIY kit was a perfect um, intersection of our brand purpose, the customer's need, and, you know, it was just a beautiful marriage. And that was really what carried us, frankly, through 2020 was those kits. We sold a lot of kits yeah. in 2020. And through that process, we, we also became really agile. We cut out a lot of fat. We streamlined our team. We became really lean in our operating model. We uh, shifted to e-commerce, which is you know, uh, something that unfortunately took a pandemic to really light that acceleration. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm happy to say we're still here when many small businesses really shut down within months uh, in, in 2020. So we're so grateful. And it, it really took us being, like I said, very agile and quick to respond to the environment. Mm-hmm. How did the pandemic impact your workforce and the women that are, you know, your the primary constituency that you're trying to help are these women in Uganda? How did COVID impact them, and how did sort of that impact impact the whole company? In the height of the pandemic, we made the decision to keep every woman employed uh, in Uganda, despite not having the sales volume to support production, and and. You know, we're in manufacturing, so most of what happens is, in fact, at the time, factories were just shutting down and letting right. go of their production workers. And your we manufacturing needed... happens there, right? Yeah, it so in, in Uganda. Yes. Yeah, and I should have mentioned that earlier. So, you know, we are the, the power of a COLA's model is that we are not an artisan model where we just pay a person who knows to make a piece of a bracelet or breaks a bracelet to pay them and then we, you know, sell it here in the U.S. We are a vertically integrated brand. We do design and product development here in Dallas. And then we manufacture through vertically integrated manufacturing in Uganda, where we employ marginalized women. They are our employees. They're not women that know how to make jewelry. They, they are women that are learning how to make jewelry through employment with Akola. And uh, so their employment is not just, and their employment is not just getting a living wage and making jewelry, they're also getting social services wrapped around them mm-hmm. that help them understand how to save their money, open up a secondary business, put their kids in school. So it's really walking alongside these women, even if they don't know how to make jewelry and trying to build their skill set and build their empowerment that way. So, so when we think about our DNA and our business model, letting them go just didn't feel aligned with our purpose and our mission. And it's hard because we're a for-profit now and and that really hurts our margins and our ability to be cost-effective. So we did that for well over a year. We kept everyone employed uh, and, you know, and we paid them their wages and made sure they were safe. And many of them were working out of their homes uh, in their village or not working at all, but we could continue to sustain them. And we did that out of the commitment and our board and our investors all committed to doing that because of the, the of Akola's mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Akola, Uganda, unfortunately, has had the longest shutdown period in the world. So they were shut down for 83 weeks uh, and they only are now coming out of their shutdown uh, now. And so we've had to work through that, which means, you know, and their shutdown was everything from everyone stays at home all the way to avoiding intercity transportation and curfews. So we've had to adjust our entire working model to accommodate the shutdown criteria. So it's been challenging, uh, but something we've been able to still see through. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, it's incredible when you think about that and the, you know, the supply chain issues associated with COVID, there's just so many different levels of how businesses, everybody was impacted, obviously. And we continued, obviously, to struggle with some, some of this to some degree, right? As we're working our way through it. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Maybe talk a bit about some of the challenges that you see in building a loyal customer base, Mm -hmm. right? Building a story, creating a purpose, creating appeal for your customer, but maybe talk about how you go about really solidifying that loyalty so that people keep, they don't just buy one Unlock It bracelet, but they actually become part of your community. Maybe talk about your philosophy behind how, how you do that and best practices around that. You know, that's a great question. And I would say we're still on that journey uh, with Ecola. And in fact, we were talking about that yesterday, that you know, it's very easy to become transactional, where you're just selling the product and the customer is just buying the product and you forget the mission and the story. So I think you build loyalty through coming together on a common mission, you know, and where it's not about really the product, but it's really around what the product represents. And, you know, for Unlock It, it is this idea of, like I said, a, a connected global community of women lifting each other up. So what we're trying to do a lot more of is when you get that first product, and this will be coming soon as we're, we're, in the, the, we're in the throes of developing this right now, is we want women to not just get their bracelet, but hear the stories of women that are making the bracelet. So how and get, wis- get pearls of hope and wisdom that are coming from the women in Uganda. I mean, there's incredible advice that I have gotten from just how to live with joy, how to live with grace, how to live with strength when you have nothing. And how do we take those nuggets of wisdom that we hear all the time at Ecola and disseminate that? So that's something we're trying to do. We're also wanting to invite women like you, Laura, to share why you picked your word. There's so mm. many interesting stories. Like we, I had one example of a one of my board members bought a bracelet for a woman in his life, a friend, that uh, that just was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And she picked the word strong because she wanted to be reminded of the strength she carries while facing such a you know, challenging diagnosis. So to me, I think that has been really the idea is how do we connect this idea of the stories of the women that are making the bracelet, the wisdom, the understanding they have about how they're unlocking their beauty. How do we share that uh, with the women that are buying the bracelet more real time, consistently through email, through Instagram, through our website? And then how also do we ensure that the women buying the bracelet can have a voice and a platform for sharing why they're wearing and sharing their stories and, and lifting up other customers that are on that journey that either has have just bought a bracelet or considering to buy a bracelet. So this idea of storytelling and um, uh, deeper conversations around the meaning of the bracelet is where we're trying to go. Because to me, that's what makes someone wear the bracelet. Unlock it is beautiful, but there's a lot of beautiful bracelets that a woman can wear. So when she chooses to wear this bracelet, it needs to be a symbol of who she is as a woman what she stands for, what she believes in, when she wears it, how she feels. And that's all through this idea of establishing the mission and the meaning of the bracelet more clearly with her uh, and the people that are in her life and the people that are making the bracelet as well. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful. And it applies to so many different ways in which we want to connect our product, our brand, our mission with other people. Um, I really, I, I love that. I'd love for you to go back a bit and tell people um, where you grew up, maybe oh. a little bit about how you, how, like what, what it was about marketing that appealed to you, kind of how you got into this work in the first place. Okay. Well, I tell people, yeah, I, well, I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in New Jersey. I grew up in Delaware, but I'm, my parents are first generation Indian, uh, Indians. So, so they kept, sorry, I'm first generation Indian American. My parents emigrated here in, my dad came to the U.S. when he was 18, my mom when she was 24. And I joke around all the time, you know, when you grow up in an, an Indian family, you're basically told you have to do engineering or medicine as your right. career. So I basically was told that's what I'm going to do. And uh, luckily, I was very good at science and math. I actually enjoyed it. But this is a perfect example of what I told you about. You get you get caught up in what you're supposed to do, and right. you end up doing that for a while. So I said, okay, well, I'm good at science and math. And my mom and dad told me I have to have some sort of science career as an Indian. I wouldn't be a true Indian if I didn't do that. So I went to UVA and undergrad and I studied chemical engineering and I got through it and I, I don't know how I got through it, but I enjoyed, I mean, I would say I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed the learning, but it was pretty tough. And I, I realized coming out of four years of that, I was not going to do it further. I actually applied to, to uh, get a PhD because yes, I was an Indian and I should have a PhD. And I decided that's what I would do, even though I hated, you know, really didn't enjoy engineering you know, per se. And then thank God, he just opened my, opened my eyes and said, she wrote, there's no way you're gonna spend five years on a PhD in chemical engineering, you're gonna be miserable. So I did what my parents did not want me to do. I did not go to graduate school. I ended up working for Merck Pharmaceutical, uh, and I was a chemical engineer uh, for them in a rotational program, and I was kind of learning how to build pilot plants and chemical facilities and all of that, and uh, it was really interesting work. And I started to realize, I asked a lot of questions around, why are we doing, why are we making that drug? What is the purpose of that drug? Um, what is the customer need that we're fitting? Why, why is the price that way? And I realized I like business. I like marketing. I like to understand consumer behavior, what makes them tick, how a product fits into a consumer's life. And at the time, I didn't probably put language to that as brand management or brand uh, work or leadership, but I knew I loved business. And I, knew, I knew I wanted to be at the table making those types of decisions. So that kind of got me on the journey to business school. I went to Harvard Business School. And when I was at Harvard is when I really got exposed to marketing. And I said, oh my gosh, marketing isn't just advertising. It's, it's product, it's price. It's you know the, the, the framework we all have, have, some of us in business know, product, price, promotion, placement. It's everything that drives a business is actually marketing. And so that was what lit me up is this idea of taking an idea, building the supply chain, the marketing, the finance, all the building blocks, and then seeing that product on the shelf and then seeing consumers react to buying that product. So I loved all of it. And that's why I you know, decided to leave my 
engineering science career and go into marketing. And so I, so I decided when I came out of business school to take a job with craft where I could really learn the art of building brands and in a holistic way. And that launched the whole career in marketing. I love that. What, what a great story. I'd love for you to talk a bit about um, our theme, if you will, for the podcast is around influence and maybe yes. the connection between purpose and influence and how you think about that. You know, for me, if I have a purpose or our company has a purpose of lifting women up, you know, we need to be sources of the influence to create that change in the world. So to me, influence is the way you live out your purpose, right? You know, if, it's all great to say that I want to help women lift, mm -hmm. each, lift themselves, realize their full potential. But if I'm not influencing them to do that, my purpose only goes so far. Right. And so I really do think influence is the outflow of your ability to live out your purpose. Now, that influence, though, comes, and I was really thinking about this last night, I don't think it's trying to create massive change at the, at the forefront. It's, it's trying to create micro changes, little, little things that move someone towards that common purpose, that shared value. So let's take, for example, the story of Unlock It at Ecola. You know, I'm, I'm running this company with Brittany because we believe that, you know, women have this tremendous potential and they're meant to live it out in the world and we're meant to connect with each other to help each other unlock the potential and the beauty inside us. So it started with like, how do we create that influence? The first thing is let's just create a product that represents this idea. We can say this all we want, but if we don't have a symbol for that, that's that it you know it becomes just a verbal exercise. There's not a tangible thing that we're trying to do. So that was mm -hmm. the first thing. What what can we do to create an iconic product? that represents is it's so like intuitive when you see it and that really lights women up. The second thing is how do we get women to share their story about what they mean by unlock it or what, when they get mm -hmm. this bracelet, how do we have them hear about the stories of the women making the bracelets? So how do we, you know, do that? And so these little, little decisions we were making create influence and what we're asking the women that buy our product is to just say, do one, do one first thing, buy the bracelet. And let's hopefully we influence you to think about your purpose and your potential. Then we're going to ask you to think about who you want to give that bracelet to. And, you know, that's you lifting somebody else up. And then it's about, you know, you reading the stories of the women that were, that are making this bracelet so that you can understand your impact in the world, your ability to help a woman in need and how that can transform your own life. And so for me, it's those little, little decisions and steps that you make as a leader and you inspire in the people that are, that are aligning with you or buying into your brand. And I think that's when you create massive change because ideally it's not a cola preaching to everybody about this idea. It's then the women that are making the bracelet sharing their ideas. It's the women buying the bracelet, buying it to somebody else and paying it forward and paying it forward. And it becomes then a change that's owned by all of us, not just by a brand. And so I, I do think it's really around these little, little steps that you can inspire that then create massive change. That's amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to answer that question. Um, maybe talk about what inspires you? How do you how do you refuel and keep 
inspiration flowing so that you have it to contribute to all of these amazing things that you're doing? The inspiration part for me, uh, one is my faith. You know, I, I really spend a lot of time, like I said, cultivating my faith in God. And that's like through prayer and through my church and through hanging out with friends that share my same values and faith. That's very inspiring to me because it makes mm -hmm. me realize, like we said, all the way back at the beginning of our time together, that my identity is not my work. So if I can relax and release a cola to God and, and trust that I don't have it all figured out, it really allow, takes the pressure off and allows me to then flow in more creative thinking and energy because I'm not so worried about how right. to keep the company moving. So to me, that's probably more of a spiritual thing of just uh -huh. releasing and letting go, which then opens the door for me to then be really open to creative ideas. And, and, and I have the mind space to do that. Right. The second thing I do is to spend time with friends and just rest. I'm really a proponent of rest. I, I think overwork is the killer of inspiration and, and you actually are incredibly unproductive. So I do take, I don't work on Sundays. I leave Sundays as like a day of just truly enjoying myself and time with friends and just resting and relaxing, um, really connecting with friends, traveling, those things are so important. Like, so rest, you know, on the weekends and taking those really intentional vacations, going away for internationally. Well, that's been a kind of a hard thing the last couple of years, but try to go to Greece uh, this year is my goal. Oh, nice. uh, and that's going to be, yeah, can't wait. So trying to find those times of just being out of your normal environment, resting, exploring and travel, that to me has been a great source of inspiration for me. And yeah, I would say exercise, but I would be lying. I do it, but it is not inspiring <laughs> to me. It is incredibly painful. And I just, I'm basically just surviving when I go through it. So, <laughs> Do you, do you set, since we're still, you know, in this beginning of the, the year, um, do you have any interesting tips or perspective around goal setting or anything that works especially well for you? Do you do resolutions? Kind of how do you think about that all, the whole fresh start concept? You know, I, I have no issues with people that set up goals because I think it's inspiring. I personally more set up kind of a belief for the year. Like what's my belief for what I think God has for me and what I want to see in this year. So I usually come up with like a word that's going to mm. inspire me and how I'm going to live out my life. So, so last year, my word was steadfast because I kind of felt like, you know, we're not out of this pandemic. Right. I'm running a small business. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough year. I kind of knew already it was going to be pretty tough. And now it's about having endurance and patience and weathering the storm and not giving up. So that, that was kind of my motto. So not less about goals, but more like a perspective of how I'm going to live out my year. And then this year, the word that I had is something so different. It's spectacular, which is so different. And it's so unlike me because I'm usually like a glass half empty type person. Uh, but So I went from steadfast to spectacular. But this was really more to say, you know what? I need to believe in exciting things, surprising things. You know, I think we're all surprised by what we can do despite this pandemic. And while the year has started off for us very challenging with Omicron, mm -hmm. it's really impacted our business. Right. Uh, you know, 
I'm believing that, you know, the best is yet to come, that I should be kind of waking up each day with the hope that something surprising and exciting will happen on a cola that's beyond my expectations. We're so excited about Unlock It and what it means that the feedback we've gotten has been tremendous. So we're like, okay, this is going to be a spectacular year for our company, for our for the women that make the product, for the employees that are doing so much to bring the story of a cola out into the world, and for us personally. So that's that's kind of how I think about it. And I'll let you know next year this time if spectacular <laughs> was was the right word. I'm hoping it is, but yeah, that's how I think about it. But other than that, it. my my only other resolution is to hydrate, drink more water, which I rarely drink water, which is horrible. And my other thing is to try to read a book on the end table. And the fact that I couldn't even tell you that I know what book is on the end table tells you that I am not off to a good start. Well, so. you've got other priorities at the moment yes. and that is yeah. okay. <laughs> that is okay. Oh. Sheba, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. I feel very inspired talking to you and I know that our listeners will as well. And I urge everybody listening to check out Acola. It's acola.co, right? Yes. Acola.co, A-K-O-L-A, and I'll include a link to the website in the show notes for this episode as well. Yes, thank you. So yes, it's www.acola.co, and then please follow us also on Instagram at Acola Jewelry. Wonderful. Shiva, thank you again. Thank you, Laura. It was a pleasure. Friend, thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what from this conversation resonated most with you. You can reach me via the contact link on our website at she said, she said podcast.com or via my social media channels. You'll find me at Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Also, I'd love it if you shared your thoughts in a review of this episode. Most of all, I hope you found this investment in you worthwhile. Until next week, take care. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.